Thank you, Helen. Well, good afternoon, everyone. And let me just be the first to congratulate Rich and Hannah uh, and baby Megan as well here today. Uh, I think you'll all agree with me on what a joy and a privilege it is to know Rich and Hannah uh, and to have them part of our church family here, to witness their little family growing uh, and to welcome baby Megan into the world and to in our church uh, and to witness them dedicating her life and their parenting to God. What an exciting thing to celebrate that is. And thank you guys for letting us be a part of that and for letting me stand at the front and say a few words. Uh, let me also be not one of the first, but, you know, one of the first publicly to congratulate Ian and Denise on their 25th wedding anniversary. It was last Tuesday. And I think there's something rather special about celebrating that on the same day, uh, celebrating 25 years of marriage on the same day as celebrating new life. Uh, and it's also been rather enjoyable to have Ian inviting, him, inviting himself to his own surprise party as well. Uh, I've quite liked that. Um, Thank you for letting us share in the joys of, of your marriage celebrations as well. My name is Rob, uh, and it is my job uh, today to speak a little bit from the Bible. I, uh, we normally do this every week. We have, a, we have a different passage from the Bible that we read, and then we talk about it. Um, today is a little bit of a different one, because normally we work through a different book of the Bible, but today I've been asked to speak on really anything I want, which is a little scary, actually. Um, but I've decided that given the nature of our celebration, we're going to think a little bit about the subject of family. That seems to be very appropriate. Uh, given what we're celebrating, we're going to think a little bit about what is family. Uh, and by way of a bit of an introduction, it seems uh, I, I thought it would be good to start with a short two-minute video. Uh, so we're going to play that now. Uh, and then I'll come back up. My family is... My brother. Me, my mum, my cat. Two other brothers. My brother and my baby kids. Four other sisters and one brother moved out. Awesome, but a little bit loafy. <laughs> Sporty, encouraging, and helpful. I have a dog called Nacho. <laughs> That's what I do as well. Very <laughs> crazy. It's cool having a family. The best thing about my family is that they don't yell at me much. A uh, family means no arguing. Someone. I see a lot to care for each other. You live with your family. You support them. They're related to you. And they all will care for each other. People that would help you. And they get married and stuff. I'm an only child. They're a bit Scottish and they're a bit Italian. Dad's side are living in Vietnam. And my grandparents live in Turkey. <laughs> some live in Greece, some live in Italy, and so, some live here. So 
Some of my family is annoying, like my sister. She's smelly sometimes. I like going on holidays with my family. But we have lots of fun together. And we all love each other. I, uh, I nabbed that video off YouTube. It's from an organization called uh, the Australian Institute of Family Studies. I have no idea what they do. Um, but it seems that they make cool videos that they, where they grab children and they ask them what they think of different things. Uh, and I thought that was a cool thing to show. Uh, what is family? That was one of the questions that was posed to these kids, and I don't know whether you caught some of the answers. Family is people we spend a lot of time with. It's not necessarily the worst answer. Or maybe family is rather pragmatically, as that one child said, the people who we're related to. That's exactly what family is, isn't it? What do you think makes a good family? Those are the things, that's the question that's on the top there. We can all think of our own families, the, uh, the silly traditions and the kind of in-jokes that make family living so special. We can think of family holidays as children that fill us with nostalgia, uh, or favorite films that we've always enjoyed watching and gone back to again and again and again. Or maybe we can think of our partners uh, and how we met, and the joy of starting to feel comfortable around one another, our wedding days, Maybe we think of our extended families, aunties, uncles, brothers, cousins, you know, there's loads of them, isn't there? And we don't see them very often, but when we do, it's like we've never been apart. It's good fun, isn't it, family? And all of us have experiences of being part of families. Whether you've got a young family with kids, whether you are a kid, they've all gone out now, but whether you're a teenager, whether you're a couple, married couple, or whether you're older and you have all sorts of different things. We can all have experiences of family in our lives. For some of us, the word family can have negative connotations. Squabbles and fights, misunderstandings, naughty kids, discipline. One of those kids said there that a good family was one that had no fighting. I don't know. Often it's through the things that are challenging in family life that make family life so good in a weird sort of way. We kind of live in each other's pockets, don't we? And then when it goes wrong, that kind of the sweetness of loving one another, even though it's sometimes we squabble, is, is a joyful thing. Uh, for some people, though, family life can be, those things are more painful. Disputes are long-held and deep-seated, and that can be hard. That isn't a joy. That can be painful. Well, Christians believe, rather incredibly, that God invented the whole idea of family. He could have come up with a whole range of different ways for human beings to live together and interact with one another, and he comes up with this idea of, like, mums and dads and have kids, and then you have uncles and aunties and uncles and all that sort of stuff. That was, that was his plan for how human beings can sort of relate to one another. And so I think it would be good today, as is the habit of what we do in this church, is to open up the Bible and think a little bit about what it means for God to have a family. Because one of the reasons that God so likes the idea of family 
so affirms the idea of children, so affirms the idea of relationships, is because God himself is a God that is actually familial. He has a family. And so what we're going to do today, very quickly, it's a little bit of a shorter service today, is we're going to look at what the Bible says about God's family and then think about what that might mean for our earthly families. So that's where we're going to go. I've got three points, as is the best way to preach a sermon. And uh, so we're going to do that. I'd love for you to open your Bibles. We read um, from the book of Luke, but we're not going to go there now. I want to use what we read in the book of Luke as really an illustration that I'll come to later. So I'd like you to turn, if you will, you should have some of these on your pews, to the book of 1 John. And uh, 1 John, chapter 3, it's on page... Uh, 1126 in the Red Church Bibles, and it's on a completely different page if you've brought your own Bible. So it would be great if you want to turn to that. So, yeah, 1126, 1 John, and chapter 3. And I'm just going to read one verse, which is verse 1. So that's quite nice. So I hope you've all got that. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. Let me just read this to you. See what great love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. It's only one verse, so I'm going to read it again. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. And this is the thing, this is the verse that leads me to make my first point, if you will, and I haven't got a clicker, so you'll have to press it, and it is this, God is the best Father. I don't know what you make of that statement, Maybe you've never really thought of God as a father before. It's a bit of a strange thing to think. If you've ever been in school and you've recited the Lord's Prayer, we start by saying, our Father in heaven. It's a bit strange. And it gets a little bit confusing in our culture because we kind of think of Father God and we think of a priest like Father Ted and it all gets a little bit confusing. We don't really, we don't really know what to make of the phrase Father God. But in the Bible, and when when it uses words like the Father, what it really means here is that God is not some great priest, but he's a dad. That's basically the idea. The word that is is used Father in the Bible is the word Abba, which really means, basically, Daddy. It's It's a term of tender endearment for a father. So here we're getting a picture, not of God as some distant God who kind of zaps lightning bolts down on people who, don't do, who do things wrong, but this is someone who we, in the kind of metaphorical language, would hug, because he's a dad. This is someone who we have a close relationship with. Don't get too hung up, by the way, if, if this is something you've not heard of, on the idea of father as opposed to mother. There are reasons why God is described as father, not mother, and you can ask me about that afterwards. And it doesn't really mean that God does not have qualities that are, we would 
sort of describe as motherly. Don't worry about that. But come and ask me afterwards if that's an issue for you. But I don't know what you think of when you think of good parents. (laughs) We can all picture our own parents, can't we? For better or for worse. (laughs) I don't know whether you think of the American dream of a touchline dad cheering his son on. It's a bit of a stereotype. Or maybe you think of of the mum who who listens to the things that's going on in your school day and, and, and is happy to wash out all the stains on your clothes. Maybe you are a young parent and you're thinking, how on earth do I do this? <laughs> maybe, you're, maybe you're a grandparent and you've been there and you've got lots of wisdom. I don't know. I'm not a parent myself, so I don't know. But the Bible teaches, in essence, that God is a God who cares for, provides for, and loves deeply his people. And that's what makes him the best father. We've recently been working through the book of Genesis in our church, which is the great book of beginnings. And Genesis 1 to 11 is filled with all sorts of weird, fantastic images, creation of the universe and the flood. And in Genesis 12, something very, very strange happens, where God actually comes down and speaks to one individual, a man. And he says to him, amongst other things, I love you, I care for you, I will bless you, I will keep you safe, and you will be blessed. It's a fairly radical moment in the Bible. And it's one that we don't think of when we think of God instinctively, necessarily. The whole story, really, at the theme of the Bible is God loving his people like a like a dad would love his own son or daughter. And that is the point of 1 John 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. This is not a God who quite likes us, or a God who's made something and then is, oh man, that was a mistake. This is a a, a God who loves us. And our relationship with God is one of a child safe in the presence of a father. We all know that imagery, don't we? Now, I'm aware that many of us, or some of us, don't actually have good fathers. And this is something that we can't relate to and even something that is painful to hear. We don't know what it's like to have a father who cares for us and shows it, and that is hard. And that is not the way that God intended families to be like. And this teaching that God is Abba should be a joy to our hearts. God loves us even when our earthly fathers let us down. And when our earthly fathers get it right, as hopefully that is the majority of cases, that is a picture of the joy of having a heavenly father. You get that? You understand that? So that's my first point. God is the best father. My second point is, flows on from that very simply. In 3 verse 1, it says that we should be called children of God. And so my second point is simple. We are the best children. Now that is a potentially confusing title, I think. Because I clearly can't mean that we're the best children. 
Most of us can remember being kids. For some of us, it was a very long time ago, so it's hard. But most of us can remember, and most of us can remember at times not being the most obedient of children. It was quite, it's quite close for me, being a child, and I can certainly remember, yeah, let's, let's say that, not being the most obedient at times. Most of us, there are gradients of obedience. But most of us can recognize that somehow kids just end up being a bit naughty sometimes. And any parents here will know by, by, by first hand that you don't have to teach a child to be naughty, do you? No one teaches a child how to be naughty. So it seems that if we're not even the best earthly children at times, surely it's a bit strange for me to stand here and say we're the best heavenly children. And the Bible is actually fairly realistic about this. I mentioned God's love for Abraham earlier, but within that very same chapter, Abraham has rejected God and done things his own way. And the narrative of the Bible is really God's love, God's intense, lavishing love for his people and his people's rejection of it most of the time. And clearly, I... I don't think we need to look very far to see that this is true in our world. If God is our loving Heavenly Father and he lavishes us with love, something has gone pretty badly wrong. Our world is not a place of perfect, joyful relationships and peaceful communion with our Father. That kind of sounds a bit laughable, doesn't it? It's a mess. It needs to be fixed. All we need to do is turn on the telly and look at the news and see, actually, our world is very deeply broken somehow. We see terror attacks and we see natural disasters and we we see humans not knowing how to speak to one another or understand one another. We see poverty And we see other countries where there is war. And we see us, our country, going to war. And we see things that just don't feel right. This is not how things should work. And I think, as well, we don't need to look far to see that this is often true in our own hearts. We know, don't we, that we don't even live as we we feel we should live. Never mind living how some deity might have said we should live. Think of our own families. Even though our families are are full of joy, all too often they're also characterized by bitterness or misunderstanding one another or selfishness or, 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 or being annoyed with someone and getting angry and lack of forgiveness. I said earlier that sometimes all that can actually become insurmountable for families. This, in short, we end up hurting one another no matter how much we try not to. Would you agree? The Bible calls this basically sin, which is a much maligned word in our culture, and people don't really like saying it. But it basically means going against God's good plan for the world. Sin is like sticking the middle finger up at God and saying, no thanks, I'd like to do this my own way without you. I'm not that bothered. 
which I think is a good description in many ways. So how can I stand here and tell all of us here that we're the best children, when clearly we don't really look, when we look at the world, like families and people that are peaceful? Am I living in some kind of deluded Christian fantasy world which thinks everything's nice when it's not? Well, the Bible teaches that God loves us and he loves us so much that even though we've rebelled against him, somehow we can still be in a father-child relationship with him. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 John 3 and verse 9. In the church Bibles, it's just over the page. There's a lot that John talks about, and a lot of it's quite wordy, so I've decided not to read through the chapter. We looked at verse 1, and we're going to jump to verse 9. Sorry, that's, that's 1 John 3 and verse 9. Yeah, it's not over the page. It's on the same page. It's over the page in my Bible at home. <laughs> I think I'm... Actually, let me... I've got this wrong. We're... I'm looking in the wrong place. 1 John and chapter 4 and verse 9. There we go. It is over the page. I've written down the wrong thing on my notes. There we go. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9. Let me just read this to you. This is how God showed his love for us. Among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Let me just read that first bit again. This is how God showed his love among us. So we've said that God is the best father, and we've said that being the best father means being a loving father. But what does that love look like? Well, here, John is telling us that that love means God sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to live in this world, to live the life that we can't, to honor his father God in the way that we all often, too often don't, and dying the death that we actually deserve. That's what it means here when when John uses the word atoning sacrifice. It's like a substitute. Jesus takes on the sins that we've done wrong, all the poverty and, and brokenness and miscommunication and all the things in our world that we think, this just isn't right. All that, all that sin is taken on Jesus' shoulders and all of his righteousness is put on ours. What this means is that we are able to die to the old way of living and rise to a new life, one that isn't characterized by sin. And the Bible actually uses the metaphor here of adoption. We all know what adoption is. A child who is not part of a family is adopted into the family. And the Bible says that when you become a Christian, you are adopted into God's family. You become a son or a daughter of God. Which is crazy. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. 
Jesus sends his son into the world who takes away all the things we've done wrong and then makes it possible for us to swap with him so that we become a son of God and actually live in a relationship with the maker of the cosmos who says, my son, I love you. (laughs) That's crazy. And it is in this sense that we are the best children because we're like Jesus. Earlier we read what I think is a brilliant story. You may have thought it was a little strange to read the story of the prodigal son at a dedication. Um, I'm not wanting to make any prophecies. Um, (laughs) But this story illustrates what I'm saying beautifully. We're not going to turn to it, but I want it to be a metaphor. Here a man asks for his inheritance from his father and then goes away and squanders it. And he comes back to his father, who when he sees him, is filled with compassion, throws his arms round him, kisses him and says, welcome home. I love you. You're my son. And he dresses him in a fine robe and he says, this is where you're meant to be. And the son says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And the father says, I don't care. I forgive you. That is what it is to be a Christian. That's the gospel. We come to God broken and having done wrong. And God welcomes us like a father loves his son. Like a dad loves his son or his daughter. I would really encourage you to, if you've not read that story before, Take one of these Bibles away and go home and read it because it is a beautiful, beautiful metaphor for the entire Christian gospel. And these are glorious truths. Today, Rich and Hannah have pledged to teach these truths to Megan as she grows up. That's, what, that, that's essentially what we're doing. We want her to learn to trust in Jesus and come to accept God as her Father, her Heavenly Father. As we said before, the act of dedication doesn't make you a Christian. Megan still has a choice to make, but as she grows up, Rich and Hannah have committed to teaching her about her Heavenly Father and about what Jesus has done for her. And we hope and we pray that that will be a wonderful blessing to her. But the question might be, you might be thinking, hang on a minute, this was 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, and and we don't look like the world's getting any better. Maybe it is a bit, but surely, surely he failed. If his was the big fixing project, surely it's gone wrong. What happens next? I kind of get that I like this idea that Jesus takes away my sins, but what happens next? And the Bible's answer to this is that when we become a Christian, we're not zapped up to heaven immediately. But we're told to live in this broken world to be a blessing to people who don't yet know all the things I've just said. And that is the point of church. The Bible says that we're not called to do this alone, but we have, here we go, brothers and sisters who help us in doing that. And the church, that the church is the best family is my third point. It's on the screen there. I don't know what you think of church. Maybe this is your first time in church. Maybe this is, you've been to church a few times. Stained glass windows. We've got some around. A dull old preacher, maybe. Maybe you're thinking of nice community work, like a bake sale. It's a nice thing that churches do. Maybe you think of preachers who preach hellfire and damnation and sin. 
Maybe you just think, well, it's for you, but it's not really for me, thanks. I like it, it's nice, it's good if, it's, if, you, if you want it, but, but, but not for me. But have you ever thought of church as family? Maybe not. Because that is one of the ways that the Bible describes it. And once we are brought into God's family with him as father and us as children, we then become sons and daughters and we automatically have brothers and sisters. Other Christians. Makes sense, right? The metaphor is not that complex. And we then live in community with those brothers and sisters and that's called the church. Now this isn't always perfect. In fact, churches can often be places which are quite divisive. We don't always get this right. But the Bible teaches something beautiful about church family. Turn with me, if you will, again to 1 John chapter 4. And we'll look at verse 11. We're kind of threading through some of the different things that John is saying. And in verse 11, he says this. Dear friends, he's writing to Christians. Since so God, God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. What is John saying here? He's telling us that the church is a place of love, God's love, where God loves us and we love each other. That's the point. But it's not a kind of, we quite like one another. It's a love that transcends boundaries. It's a love that is true love because God loved us first, despite the things that we've done. We are able, as a church community, to forgive one another because God first forgave us. We live in a beautiful community because God is a God of beautiful community. You see that? So many people think that the church is a, is a social club or it's made up of people who have the same interests or, it, or, or it's people that quite like each other and they like hanging out. Now, those things are true. Of course, they're true. It would be strange if we didn't like one another. But the church is made up, I think you can see, of all sorts of different people, different nationalities, different personalities, different ages. And the point is that we're united not by liking the same things, but because in, we're in Christ. This is true community defined by sacrificial love to us and to one, get out to one another. Nothing could take that kind of bond of family away. Which is why, moments earlier, the church pledged to help Rich and Hannah in their job of being good parents to Megan. You may have thought that was a little strange. They didn't consult me when they were having a baby. I, I, I'm kind of pledging to sign, I'm helping them do some raising, but I, I don't really know what I'm doing. Do I have to change nappies and, and, and have sleepless nights? You may be thinking, I'm part of the church, but, but I don't really want to have a baby. <laughs> but the point is, and I'm hoping that they're going to do most of the legwork, but our job is to help them and support them Support Megan as she's growing up and support them as Christians. Why? Because Rich is our brother and Hannah is our sister. Is that not a truth that is marvellous? And as parents, they will, have, they will go through joys 
And they will go through things that are hard. And as a family, we walk through them together. The same is true, I think, as we share in the joys of Ian and Denise's anniversary. He said, as he was saying, thank you, that 25 years of marriage doesn't come without community. And is that not, is that not the case? He's not been with us the whole time for 25 years, but he's been part of churches, and so has Denise. And actually, that is the, the joy of living your life alongside other people, united in Christ, is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful blessing. So if you are a Christian today, I would encourage you, I would urge you, rejoice. Rejoice. We're going to sing a song in a moment, and the song is called, Jesus, Thank You. And Christian, sing your heart out. Why? Because Jesus has made it possible for you to live in a relationship with God as your father, even though that relationship was broken. I think there's a challenge here too for you if you are a Christian today. Because if you're not loving other Christians and sharing your life with them, if you think that the church is an indispensable add-on for being a Christian, or you think, I can kind of take it or leave it, I, I like calling myself a Christian, but I'm not really that bothered about going to church, then you haven't understood the gospel Because being part of God's family but not coming to church is like being part of an earthly family but not bothering to celebrate anyone's birthdays. Or being part of an earthly family but not having tea with everyone and going and doing it in your own room. It doesn't make sense. So there's a challenge there. And if you today are not a Christian, if if, if this is your first time in church, or or maybe you've been to church a few times but you wouldn't identify as a Christian... I would love to say rejoice, but I can't. I hope that you leave today feeling happy. (laughs) And I hope that you feel that the church has been a welcoming place for you to come. Certainly, I hope that you feel the joy of of, of being thankful for, for Hannah and Richard having a child. But I can't ask you to rejoice in the same way that Christians rejoice because you are not sharing in the joy of being part of God's family and you're not enjoying the blessing of a church community. You are not living in a world, yes, that is broken and yes, that it is very hard at times, but with the joy of living alongside one another and walking through our joys and sufferings, you do not have that. And it would be sad if we ended there. But the wonderful truth is that the church exists partly for you. The church exists not as an exclusive club that looks inward on itself and really hopes that no one ever comes in. (laughs) The church exists almost literally to extend our hands outward and say, come on in. It's really good in here. It's really good. Because our sins are forgiven and our relationship with our maker is as as, as it was. It's as it should be. And so we extend our hands to you and say, come on in. Yes, the world is very broken. And we know that. But there is hope. And so to someone who isn't a Christian, I would urge you, accept and then rejoice. Accept Jesus as your saviour and enjoy the blessings 
of being part of God's good family. We're going to pray now, so let me do that. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are not a God who is distant and far away, who has made the world and wound it up and let it tick on without really bothering to to look at it. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who is intimately connected with his people, that you love the people that you've created and that you so desire people to be in a relationship with you. Lord, we thank you that the Bible uses the metaphor of family and has created the, the, the institution of family to teach us that you are a good, great father and that you loved your people so much that even though they rebel, they are able to come into a relationship with your, you and call you Abba, Daddy. Lord, we thank you that you bless us with a church and we thank you for this church family and we pray, as Rich and Hannah are embarking on their, on their life of parenthood, that you would help us as a church to support them. And not just for them, but for everyone in our church. Help us to love one another and walk alongside one another. And Lord, we pray as well for people who do not yet know the joy of living in the arms of a Heavenly Father. Lord, we pray that you would speak into this world of confusion And help people to come to know the joy of being part of your family. In Jesus' name, amen.